Uh, also, just a reminder, on the 15th, we've got Tony and Suzanne Sieverite who are coming through to minister. I, I encourage you to prioritize that date. That's under the 15th. They're coming through on their way to um, Denmark. So uh, we need to pray for that, but also be here for them. Then also there's home groups as normal this week. Remember, there's a lead, those who are in leadership, normally come to leadership family lunches. We're doing that on the 15th as well, rather than today. So there's nothing today. But remember, there's home groups this week. If you're not in a home group, please let us know, and we can connect you, uh, and, um, uh, so that you can do that. I think that's pretty much it. There are some of us who are going across to France for the European Equip later on in the month. Uh, just... Um, uh, continue to pray for that as well. Then uh, just to let you know, uh, those who are on the prayer WhatsApp, you would have received it. But those of you who haven't, John and Saula, uh, we need to pray for them this week. They are, Someone's just arrived on their doorstep the last few days with a piece of paper that says they own half of their land, uh, which they don't do, but they're trying to prove. So John and Saula need to go through solicitors and everything else. And that country is a country that is fraught with corruption and bribery and everything else. So please pray for them for wisdom, that they can resolve that. It's not the part that their house is on. It's the part that all their crops and livelihood and everything else is on. So at least they've got somewhere to live. But we need to pray for breakthrough. Similar thing has happened in Mongolia this week, where the government have asked them, the restriction, the people who, the local council have come and said that they need to move. Um, <clears throat> they've been in the same place for 20-something years. The government have now said they're too close to an electricity pylon, which they've always been close to, and they want to take five metres of their land away, um, church land, for the zone around that, which again is just another blatant attack because it, it's been there for 20-something years. So we need to pray for those countries, and those, um, John and Saula and Boldo in um, Mongolia for those guys as well. So youth, if you are senior school age, you're upstairs today with Amy, children, you're three with Eve and Ella. <clears throat> the rest of you can stay in here. Fantastic. There we go. <laughs> cool. Good. Well, we're going to carry on our series looking at... Um, developing and building a culture that reflects the truth of God's word in our lives um, uh, based on what we believe. Remember I've said many times that what we believe informs our values and our values shape our culture <clears throat> and, and so we need to look at that and see what, know what we believe and see how that impacts how we live and sometimes it's helpful to look at our lives and see where, how we live, where we spend our time, where we spend our energy, what we focus on, our resources. And in reality, that then shows what we value. Uh, because it's easy to say, well, uh, that's important. That's what I believe. That's what I value. But then we look at our life and those two don't match up. Then we need to adjust how we live in order to come into line with what we believe. Because actually out of what we believe is how we live. And so that's why we're looking at this series, so that we can uh, both individually but also corporately look at these things that are biblically based things that should shape how we live and who we are and therefore be transformative in our lives as to live more and more like Jesus. And so I'd encourage you to, to go through these things, not just listen to them and carry on, but actually make the changes that are necessary in order to become more and more like Jesus. I think we're kind of coming towards... Excuse me, the end of the series, but um, there are a few more that we need to cover. But <clears throat> that's why we're doing it, so that we can consider how we currently live our lives 
in comparison to what the Word of God says, and then make the adjustments. Whether, and, and you will know what adjustments you need to make in your own life, but also corporately we can see that and see how we need to step into that. But the, the idea is, or the desire is, or the object is, is that we become part of the solution rather than just carry on and let those things carry on in our lives. So that actually we see these things and say, well, actually this is where we need to be. This is what God says. This is what it could be. And so let me step up and step in and be part of the solution to what God has for us. And when we realize that and understand that, we understand it will cost us. But it will only cost us what God is asking of us, not what man expects of us. But often we use that, the argument of, well, that's just an expectation of man to, to give an excuse for us not to respond to God. Sometimes God speaks through man, and that then we need to change. And so what I'd encourage you is, is, is don't hold back. When the Holy Spirit speaks and the Holy Spirit uh, stirs something in you, ask God how you need to adjust, how you to step up and step into, and pretty much ties in with Katie's picture of that, that lock that is a moving up. And uh, that's how we need to respond to the things of God, is stepping into what he has and fulfilling the, those things that he's called us to caring and, and, and the desires of God in our lives. And so this morning we're going to look at, a, at building a culture of humility. And again, that's not really a popular topic in light of the world we live in, just like servanthood isn't and generosity isn't, but it's building a culture of humility. And so I'm going to pray and then we'll launch straight into that. Father God, I thank you that you've already spoken this morning that we have heard you, that we can move in, uh, in step with you. But Lord, as we look at this this morning, I pray that you would challenge our hearts, encourage us, strengthen us, that we would be transformed to be more and more like you, Jesus, in how we live, who we are, and that as people would see us and encounter us, they would encounter you, the living God. Come in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Humility is not a popular thing because actually the world system that we live in and we encounter every day speaks more about us climbing to the top, accomplishing everything we can, being untouchable, being inaccessible, kind of just doing whatever we can in order to, to, to gain that position that out of our value in the position that we have, we become or self-important or elevated uh, and the status and pride that we live in with that. And usually it's because we, people don't have their identity in Christ. You see, when you, when you are saved and have your identity in Christ, then actually you gain all of that from Him, not from around you and not from your accomplishments. But everything in the world we live in pushes us towards the thing of building our own empires, building our own status, building our own uh, uh, world where we accomplish things and therefore are valued or respected through our accomplishments and through what we've attained rather than the value of just this is who we are. And it leads to us being uh, potentially quite image conscious or arrogant or proud rather than humble and it's outplayed in the corporate world and social media you see it in sports and schools you kind of got all these different things politics classrooms uh, entertainment every arena of life we see that the world is pushing us not towards humility and we're going to look at what that means but towards pride and self-accomplishment and self-achievement rather than living out as God has called us to. And, and that's so opposite to what the Bible says. 
And it's, it's no surprise because what we see in the very beginning when Satan fell, it was the issue of pride that welled up within him that, came, that resulted in his rebellion against God. And the exact same thing is in the Garden of Eden and the exact same thing is inherent in fallen man ever since then. And that's why we see it in the world around us played out in these different ways. The dictionary defines pride as this, a feeling or pleasure, feeling pleasure or satisfaction over an act of possession or a quality. That doesn't sound too bad, but this is also what it says. A high or inordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority. It's pretty much more of what it is, whether that's displayed through outward characters or inward uh, sense of worth. A dignified sense of what is due to oneself, due to one's character or position. See, pride is, re- is rarely rooted in self and in self-importance, self-position and all those things rather than the opposite, which is humility. And, and often, pride disguises itself. Sometimes it's quite obvious. Vanity, egotis- egotistical, haughty, all those kind of things. But sometimes pride can actually veil itself in things that actually seem harmless. And the world plays on these as well. Sometimes pride is actually uh, disguised as self-esteem or self-respect or positivity. Which I'm not saying you shouldn't have those things, but those need to be based in God, not self. I'm always a little bit worried when in a word like self-esteem, there's that word self in it. That always rings alarm bells for me. We should have find our worth and our esteem and everything else in God, not ourselves. But only we will know how we sit with these things. Sometimes pride is actually also disguises itself subtly in shyness or fear or self-deprecation or false humility. And those are more subtle and probably slightly harder to find, but but sometimes people can use, and I've experienced this, is that people can use the excuse of, well, I'm shy, or actually they're too proud to do something. I mean, it's quite obvious then when someone's more extrovert and, and then they suddenly say that, then you kind of think, well, that's just a lie. But, and I'm not saying that all quiet people or reserved people are proud. I'm not saying that at all. So if you are, if that is your demeanor, please hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. But what I am saying is sometimes those things are a disguise for pride rather than true humility. And sometimes people really respond with a sense of false humility. Where it's like, it's not, no, it's not me, it's not me. And it's like, I heard that once where someone, I can't remember what thing was, I think it was at a meeting we at where the guy went to the worship leader and said, that was really good, well done. And the guy said, no, 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 it wasn't me, it was all Jesus. He said, no, it wasn't that good. Well done for what you did do, but God's the one who who is worthy of all praise and all honor. So what does God's word say? Because that's the important thing. What does God say about it all? And I want to focus on building humility rather than focusing too much on pride. So think of actually, if we focus on how we live humble lives, by default, we overcome pride. But often if we try not to be proud, try not to be proud, then we land up being proud because suddenly we've now overcome 
pride, which is a bit weird. So I want to look more at what it means to be humble. And humility is a big deal with God. It really is. And Scripture says that Jesus, and, and in our human perspective, Jesus should have had every right to be proud because he was, he's Jesus. Yet it says that Jesus laid aside his majesty and didn't consider equality with God something to be um, taken for granted or grasped, but he chose to become a man. Uh, with all humanity's limitations and challenges and everything else, he chose to lay aside all of that to become a man and humble himself even to the point of death on a cross for our sake. And if we to be conformed to the likeness of Christ then we need to make the adjustments so that we can respond and emulate Jesus. Interesting thing, if you read through all the four Gospels, there's lots it says about what Jesus did, a lot of the words of Jesus, his teaching, his, uh, the disciples, signs and wonders, people's opposition and everything else. But there's only one place where Jesus himself tells us about his heart. Only one. And out of all the things Jesus could have said about who he is at the center of his being, he says, I'm gentle and lonely, lowly in heart. It's incredible because he could have chosen any number of different things. But the one place where he tells us about himself, he says this in Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We often read that and we focus on, come to me if you're heavy laden or burdened, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And we miss this incredible gem in the middle which Jesus himself, the only place in the Gospels that Jesus himself says, this is what my heart is like. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Now we must remember this. Biblically, when we look at what that heart means, that's not a um, mushy-gushy thing. In biblical terms, it's the center of who you are. It defines who you are. And it's the center from which you do everything. And Jesus chooses to say he's gentle and lowly in heart. And the Greek word that is used for that word gentle is used three times in the New Testament. One in Matthew chapter 5, with the Beatitudes, where it speaks and is used as meek. One in Matthew 21, verse 5, where he's quoting Zechariah, which says, Come that he's coming on a humble donkey. So it's used in meek and humble. And one in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, where it speaks about gentle and quiet spirit. Meek, gentle, humble, all mean the same thing. And it's the natural posture for Jesus. It's who he is. You'll see why I'm looking at this in, in a minute. You see, we know that God is love. God doesn't try and love. God doesn't give himself to trying to love others. He is love and therefore always loves. Jesus, here if we take the scripture for what it says, it means that he is humble. He doesn't try and be humble. 
he is humble. Meek, what's it? gentle and lowly. There's that at the core of his being, he is humble. And that word gentle overlaps and is generally translated as humble later on in the Bible as well, in James chapter 4, verse 6. And why it's important is this, is that if we're to conform to the likeness of Christ, and at the center of his being, he is humble, we need to give ourselves to that. His response to us is always one of gentleness and, uh, and, and humility, meek and lowly, his response. And doesn't mean that he's weak. You see, it's often we can think gentleness, meekness, humility is weak. But it's not at all. And, and that's only, uh, that is who he is, but there's so many other aspects of how Jesus responds and brings judgment and corrects and all those other things which we can't sometimes put in, in, in connection with that, that word because in our humanness we see it in, as, as a negative rather than a positive. But we need to remember that what we view as gentle and humble and in the world we see that as negative, it's what is the world? The world is fallen. And man, of course, man is going to say that's negative because, why? Because man at his core is proud. And it fights against. Yet Jesus at his core is not proud, is not arrogant, but is humble. And if we're to live emulating Jesus, then it's so important that we actually learn how to respond to that. And if you ponder on that truth of the fact that he is humble, and his response to us is one of, as meek and lowly and gentle. That not only should impact how we live, but if you just dwell on that. And consider that through your life. You might have made the biggest mess. You might be the person who that picture this morning spoke about. Like you feel your life is a shipwreck. And you feel that you're the one who wrecked it. When we understand that Jesus is meek and lonely, that he is gentle and humble in how he is, when we come to him, we don't have to jump through hoops. We don't have to attain certain things. We have to come to him as we are and receive from him. And his response isn't going to be one of someone with a whip or a stick to beat you and give you penance and everything else. It's going to be one that is gentle and lowly, that is humble, that comes and draws you close rather than pushes you away. You see, if, we, if, if for a moment we don't focus on the come to me heavy laden and burdened and I will give you rest. If we don't focus on ourselves, but actually focus on what that scripture tells us about him, then it transforms everything about us and how we come to him. But then it should also transform how we live. See, it's important to note that in the New Testament, humility is not referred to as a virtue or something like that but it's what it's referred to as a state of being downward in, in life circumstances in other words being humble a, humi a, a, a humble state so what I'm saying is 
a state of a sense of destitution. In other words, it's, it's not when when the Bible speaks, the New Testament speaks about humility. It's, it's not saying that you have to be self-deprecating and anything else. What it's saying is you need to be accessible. What it's saying about Jesus is he's accessible. He's not proud. He's not arrogant, he's not aloof, but he's accessible, he's, he's, he's humble. In Romans chapter 12 verse 16 says, Do not be haughty, but associate with those who are lowly. So it's, humility is not a virtue. I mean it is, but it's not a virtue in its essence. It's actually a state of us being accessible, being approachable, and being willing to, to associate with anybody. If you think of the fact that it says that Jesus humbled himself... And became a man. We think of what we face in the world. More often than not, whether we like it or not, no matter what country we come from, no matter what country we're in, there are levels in society. Some call it class, some call it caste, some just don't call it anything. But what it is is prejudice and pride but it's even more subtle than that I remember when I was in the the military I trained and did basic training with a whole lot of friends and then I became an officer and some of my friends didn't and then I could not this is what they said we had to do we could not be friends with them because they had to respect the rank and therefore if we actually be pally-pally with our mates again who were now subordinate, that, that wasn't allowed. So they separated us in where we slept, we separated in where we ate, we slept, and everything, and everything about us was actually, that's who we are and that's who they are. They actually mustn't question, they mustn't be friends, they must just obey. I think that's quite extreme. It is very extreme Especially if you know me, that's not who I am. And I had to unlearn a whole lot of things when I came out because that's not biblical leadership. But in the same respect, you probably face it at work. Those who managers, those who directors are kind of a little bit more untouchable and you have to go through secretaries. And, and you see it, bureaucracy in countries, you see it in all sorts of stuff. What it is, is the arrogance and pride of man that sets themselves up, that makes them inaccessible, yet it's so opposite to what Jesus is. Jesus became a man. Why? So that he could pay the price for us, but also that he was accessible. And we see in Scripture, who are the ones who are most offended? The Pharisees, who did what? Who tried to keep themselves aloof and set apart. And yet Jesus was a friend of sinners. He was, he was accused of being a drunken and a, because he, st- he was there with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and those who were of no value in humanity. He was there, accessible. No hoops they had to jump through. And the same is true for you and I. He is accessible for us. And that humility and being accessible and approachable is all tied in with one. That's why when we actually look at ourselves is that we become more and more humble, that we become more and more like Jesus, it means that we need to, to look at that in terms of how we live. Are we accessible? Are we humble in that way? Not a, not a, a virtue of piety and everything else because that kind of contradicts itself. But actually are we willing to associate with anybody? Because Jesus is, are we? Do we make it that people have to jump through hoops before they can spend time with us? Whether that's saying sorry or, or anything. It's like, no. If we try and keep this and that apart, that, that's just not a godly way. 
And so we can often pick up those things so, uh, just because of the world we live in and it drip feeds us all the time. So how do we overcome that and how do we be, develop uh, a, a culture of being humble in a world that is proud and the world around us? And to first just look at some scriptures as what the word says about those who are proud. Because sometimes people can say that that's actually a good thing in the world. Like they accomplished and they kind of almost elevate those who stand with sometimes, yeah. Let's be careful what I say. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 says this, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, the first part says that God mocks the mockers. And the proud mockers, he mocks. Proverbs 8.13, God hates pride and arrogance. Proverbs 16.5, the Lord detests the proud of heart. Proverbs 18.16, pride goes before destruction and the haughty spirit before fall. Daniel 4.37, uh, God is able to humble the proud. In contrast to that, it's, he says this. 1 Corinthians 13.4, that love is not proud or arrogant. Psalm 25, he guides and teaches the humble. Proverbs 3.34, the second part, when he first said he mocks the proud mockers, but he shows favor to the humble. Isaiah 66 verse 2, these are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit. Ephesians 4.2, humility is grouped in the thing of manner, of, uh, in that group of um, things in the manner that we live out our, uh, worthy of our calling. James 4 verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you or lift you up. Matthew 18.4, whoever humbles himself like this child will be the greatest in the kingdom. Matthew 23.12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever who humbles himself will be exalted. 1 Peter 5 verse 5 and 6, he gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but if you contrast those things of God's attitude towards the proud, the fact that he opposes, he mocks, he detests, he hates, the proud and the arrogant, to me, I just read, and, and then you see what he does for those who humble, he guides, he teaches, he shows favor to, he exalts, he lifts up, he, he protects, all those things. I would much rather be on that side, giving myself to living humbly. And so humility and, uh, as an attitude of our heart is something that we need to adopt, but actually be conscious of how we do that, because it's not something that we will default into because we are all human. And so we need to be conformed to the likeness of Christ and choose to follow in his way. Romans chapter 12 verse 16 says, Live in harmony with one another and do not be proud, but be willing to associate people of low position. I think the key scripture for how we live out being humble or what we put into place for being people of a, uh, with a culture of humility is this. Philippians chapter 2 verse 2 to 11. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being full uh, being in full accord and one mind. How to be humble? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Do nothing out of vain conceit or ambition, selfish ambition. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Do not look out for your own interests but for the interests of others. 
then goes on to say, have, have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the, for, was in the form of God, did not count equality to God something to, something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. Therefore God has, a, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humility is connected with servanthood, with honor, with self-sacrifice. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think of others more significant empty yourself not don't look for your own interests but to the interests of others in other words not living with me first and that's why it's connected to servanthood it's connected to generosity it's connected to and you know one way that you can develop a culture in your own life of being humble I think it's honoring others. If we practice honoring others, it immediately, truly honoring, not just lip service, but actually in our hearts, honoring others. What it's saying is actually, you're important. Your contribution is valid. You, you are valuable. What you've done is recognized. We encourage one another. We honor one another. As we honor others, so we start to develop an, a, a heart attitude of humility preferring others that we don't have to be always right we don't have to always have it our way we don't have to have it the way because actually we only see it one way even for us as a church for us as a church to be humble means we need to recognize that we are a church we are not the church we haven't got all the answers you haven't got all the answers I haven't got all the answers we don't do things the right way we do things a way that we hope is the right way in obedience to what God's asking us but you see, in everything we do, everything we do in our life, if we, if we are focused on ourselves, then it's actually, we've got this right, you've got this wrong. My way's the right way, therefore you need to do it my way. That's not humility. Humility is listening, and we learn when we listen. Humility being teachable, honoring others, emptying your, if it says it, he, he, he emptied himself, in other words, and came as a servant. In other words, it's nothing about us. It's all about him, and it's all about us laying our lives down for others. That's how we become humble and teachable rather than arrogant, remembering that we don't have it all right. And in reality, when we, we stop and think, in reality, we can do nothing without God. Nothing. You can't breathe. You can't do anything without God. So we mustn't think that we're so great. What he's given us to do, we need to do in obedience. Because you see, Jesus emptied himself, became a servant, humbled himself to obedience. Humility requires obedience to God. Humility requires that we don't do things out of ambition or, or vain conceit, but actually think of others more highly than ourselves. Why? Because they're as valuable to God as you are. The world says that those who have certain positions or those in certain places or attitudes or anything else, then those ones we give attention to. But Scripture is so full of things. 
if, if someone with, I can't remember where it is, is it James? So someone who comes in with fine clothes and you give someone else the seat, rather, uh, give him a seat rather than someone who's in, uh, is poor, that, that you're being proud and arrogant and God hates that. I think, well, we don't do that, but maybe we do in other ways. See, when we understand that the core of who Jesus is, he is gentle and lowly, that he is humble. Humble, and, and his response to us is like that. And how can we not respond to others? How can we not live our lives laid out for him and laid out for others? How can we not live our lives thinking more highly of others than ourselves? Honoring others, we honor God, what God is doing in them and through them. Honoring others means that we're preferring them above ourselves. Honoring others shows that actually everybody is valuable. And so when we look at the example of Jesus, that he humbled himself, and we start to put these things in practice, I, I, I need to finish because of time, but I encourage you, go over Philippians chapter 2 this week. Let it, let it be a, 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 a passage of scripture from verse you read the whole chapter every day, but from 2 to 11, that you ponder daily this week. Say, God, show me what it means to live a life that is humble like Jesus. Show me where I need to lay things down. Show me where I need to start actually being more accessible. An incredible thing for me is that, that, is that understanding that in the under, biblical understanding of humility is, is that word accessible. Because those who are proud are usually not accessible. But if God's to use us to reach the world, we need to be accessible. As believers, we need to be accessible that they are comfortable coming to us. That in no way must we think that actually because we've got Jesus and because we might live more moral lives, we better, we not. The thing that changes everything is Jesus and salvation that comes through him morality doesn't change anything, Jesus changes everything and so we mustn't think well the world's like that and we Christians are like this we become proud and then what does God do he opposes the proud but he draws near to, gives grace to, exalts lifts up those who are humble Let's be those who give ourselves to live as Jesus lives. Humble, accessible, gentle in spirit as we look to reach the world for him. Because that's why we're here. Too often the church, the church is viewed as irrelevant, arrogant and proud. Everything that Jesus wasn't. He was relevant, humble, accessible, and they all came to him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you, even though you are God, in your purity, holiness, justice, and all those things, you're also our Father, who is loving, accessible, humble, gentle, Lord, if that's true in how you respond to us, Lord, I pray that that would transform us, that that would be true of us and how we live out our faith and our lives with those around us, those in the world that we come, uh, come into contact with. 
so that through us they would see you. Through us they would come to a relationship with you. Father, everything that we put in place in our lives, let it be for the sake of your kingdom and for the sake of the, that people would get saved. Lord, help us to be a people individually but also corporately who walk humbly before you. God, we don't want to be those that you oppose. We want to be those that walk humbly, empty ourselves of ourselves for your sake. That you would lead us, teach us your paths, and bring us through into the fullness of what you have for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the lost. That you would be glorified, that you would be honored, that you alone would get the praise and not us. Lord, forgive us where we've lived proud and arrogantly, where we've removed ourselves and kept aloof. Lord, we, res- we repent of those things. Where we've kept the world at an arm's distance or, or those around us because that's just how we've been. Lord, today let it be, just as that picture, a closing of the lock behind and an opening of the one ahead that is marked with grace, humility, Love, mercy, that points people to you. God, our heart's desire is that we would reflect Christ in an ever-increasing measure. Come and do that, Lord, we pray. Amen. Thank you. There's tea and coffee. There's some at the back. There's some through there. If your children are through there, please can you fetch them. The youth will come down when they're done. Thank you.